Hello, 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 listeners. You are now listening and tuned in to Dr. Melinda Johnson. I am back uh, with Mental Health Monday. I had been gone for uh, three weeks because I wanted to uh, make sure that I followed the George uh, Floyd uh, case in reference to Derek Chauvin being, um, I can honestly say and truthfully say, being convicted of the murder of um, George Floyd. And so uh, I had um, been off the air because it was being aired live on uh, the television stations and on certain podcasts. And I wanted to uh, ensure that when I came back that I would have been well informed um, because I had been receiving um, emails and voice messages in my podcast asking me to um, talk about the George Floyd uh, case and where did I stand as far as my um, own mental health when it came um, to uh, what was going on in the world and around the world pertaining to uh, black um, men and women being shot down by police officers or being um, killed by police officers. So today I am going to dedicate this episode to explaining the different emotions and um, feelings that I was feeling in the process of the trial while going through the process of the trial. So I have to honestly say that during this process, it was... um, Definitely an emotional roller coaster for me. There were times during the trial where um, I would get a little angry, I would be frustrated, I would be annoyed. Um, so I can just imagine what the young folk uh, in the family uh, felt like during this process. Uh, it was so gut wrenching to hear. Um, the testimony of the different witnesses in reference to what they saw. I can't imagine uh, being there during that time um, and being a witness. Uh, I think I would have been scarred for the remainder of my life. Uh, I understood uh, what the professionally, let me say that, I understood professionally what the young witnesses were saying when they were saying they, you know, dream about it and they, you know, wake up um, from night terrors and nightmares about it. Um, and they see it, you know, they there's not a day go by that they don't see it. So that is something that they will live with. And, you know, professionally, we uh, diagnose that as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. When uh, you have these flashbacks of traumatic events and if anyone uh, is out there who does not uh, think this was a traumatic event, even for the people who saw it and witnessed it on camera, um, then I would like to sit down and talk to that person one on one in reference to why they felt no uh, emotion Um, as it pertains to watching a man literally be murdered before your eyes. Um, And and don't get me wrong, this was not the first time um, this has happened. We have Eric Gardner, you know, we have uh, the recent police shootings of, you know, Deontay Wright. 
uh, the young girl, Micaiah. I mean, we, we can go on and on about these different things. And, you know, and it's it's disturbing to me that I even have to say we can go on and on because this is something that uh, we should not have to be uh, talking about and discussing. But unfortunately, we are. But I remember feeling a little slight case of anger, you know, when I uh, listened to uh, the little nine-year-old. And anybody and everybody who knows me know that I am I'm very protective of children um, and what they're exposed to. And so I remember thinking that when I saw that nine-year-old, when, well, when I heard the nine-year-old um, on the stand and she talked about, she saw talked about what she witnessed and how she watched uh, George Floyd stop moving and how the police officer wouldn't get off his neck um, and how the, the paramedic had to tell him to move, had to tell Derek Chauvin to move off that young man. It, it angered me uh, in a way that I wasn't extremely angry, but I was angry in a way that uh, it, it, I imagine that me and one of my uh, nieces or nephews or great nieces and nephews, I imagine that being one of the children who uh, I work with um, because I work with uh, children um, who are on consent decrees or on probation. I imagine that being one of them and experiencing that. And I imagine that being them at 15. You know, you witnessed it at nine. But at 15, you're having you're still having these flashbacks and you don't know how to deal with this anger. You don't know how to deal with these emotions of what you saw or should I say what you witnessed. And now you're sitting there and you're you become this kid who all of a sudden harboring this anger and you are acting out, so to speak. You're getting into trouble. You're doing this. But all of this stems from what that nine-year-old witnessed. I think about the 17-year-old and the now 18-year-old and the trauma behind, you know, how does that, what is it, how is it going to affect them long-term when they're in their, you know, 20s and, and 30s and 40s and 50s if they go untreated uh, for what they witnessed. I think about all of these things because I work with juveniles and juveniles don't know how to express their emotions or what they're feeling um, through their mouths. It comes out through their behavior. So when I watched these, well, let me rephrase that, uh, correct that. When I listened, because their faces were not shown. When I listened to these young folk and the trauma and the, the sadness and, you know, the tears that they cried because you know, and the emotion that they felt behind having to get up on that stand and tell what they saw, they can't go back from that. That will never leave their brain. And when I think about how that would affect them, especially the, the females, when they start having children and one of them is a male, the, the, the helicopter mom they will become, the overbearing mom they will become that could possibly drive a wedge between them and their own son because of their overprotectiveness of their son based off what they witnessed, they will never be the same. They will never be the same. When I think about the young man who 
worked in the store well who the guilt he harbored uh from you know them calling the police because of a you know of a counterfeit dollar bill you know i think about what that would do to him forever he will be afraid to call the police if he's ever witnessed a crime again because he's afraid that fear is going to always kick in and that thought process is going to kick in as to you know will they kill this person if i call the police so we're not thinking about the long-term effects of what this has done and will do to the young folk involved. Don't get me wrong. You know, the older people are going to live with it. But, you know, I think about the young folk because they got a much longer life to live. And they had not started living their lives. And I think about the effects it's going to have on their relationships with their own children if they're males with their significant others uh, and how that fear will always kick in when they leave the house, uh, when they start having children who are males, that fear that will be undeniable and inevitable is going to be there and it's never going to go anywhere. You know, treatment, okay, fine. Counseling, okay, fine. But this is the one time out of all the years I've been doing this and my career that I feel like the long-term effects of what those babies witnessed would be devastating and there will be no turning back for what lies ahead of them. I just I still get emotional and I still get caught up uh, when I think about it because I think about how that nine-year-old life will be altered for the rest of her life. She will never get over that. There will be this fear in her that will stay in her for the remainder of her life. Her life was stolen from her. Her innocence was stolen from her. And that's the reality of it. When the verdict was read, and let me, let me just say this, listeners. I watched every day of that trial for three weeks. There was not a day that I missed. I watched it because first I'm the type of person with my uh, legal background and me, you know, so used to being in the courtroom, I know that there, unless you in court, de you won't get all the details. And I call it behind the scenes. You don't know what goes on behind the scenes. We only know uh, what is put out in the forefront to be read. And the, and the uh, papers and the news uh, uh, are going, stations are going to report on what's going to get their viewers, right? We know that. Okay, so I always like to watch the trial. I get you get the the backstory, you get the details, you get all this other stuff, right? And I watched it every single day. I didn't miss not one day. 
if I had missed just a little portion of it, I would go back and watch it on YouTube to make sure I didn't miss not one thing. Because this was important to me. I don't have a black son, but I have black nephews and I have black great nephews. So I get it. And I work with children in the criminal justice system. But I watched it every day because in my mind, I wanted to see what Derek Chauvin's face looked like. Sitting in that chair, knowing his life was on the line and his freedom was on the line and compare it to what his face looked like when he rested his knee and his body on George Floyd's neck. And even through his mask, I could still see that same man, that same person with no emotion in his face, you can see that same person who had no regard to human life. He looked no different. I, for my own peace of mind, wanted to see some little hint of remorse in his face, in his eyes, in his body language. But no, he sat there and he took his notes and he wrote down stuff and, you know, he interacted, which is what they, you know, tell them to do. He interacted with his, his attorney and, you know, and then when video was shown, he sat stoic, stiff, showed no emotion. Even when he was asked to testify and the face mask came down and they asked, the judge asked him if he was going to take the stand. And he still had that same look on his face. It was a look that you just can't get past. Can't get past it. When the verdict came in, I was sitting up at the high school where I work with the athletes. And I was sitting in my car waiting for the verdict to come in. I was already nervous because it wasn't even 24 hours and the verdict was in. And now if you've ever worked in a legal field, you know that it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. For this case, I was nervous. I was emotional. I was confused. I was scared. I just had a wide range of emotions. And when the judge, because I was watching it on YouTube, and it was live on YouTube, on ABC. And when I was sitting in my car, and the judge sat down and he said, I understand the jury has reached a verdict. 
And I believe I stopped breathing for a half of a second. And I remember when they read count one and the judge said guilty. And they read count two and the judge said guilty. And they read count three and the judge said guilty. I remember tears rolling down my face. I had never gotten that emotional over a trial before, especially with someone I didn't know or a trial that I wasn't working, a case I wasn't working. I was extremely emotional. I felt that he was going to be convicted. I knew in my gut he was going to be convicted. But to hear it, did something to me. It was the first time I felt like the black man, our George Floyd, and I say our because it affects everyone. That was the first time I felt like he could rest. It does not matter what crime a person commit. No one has the right to be treated the way that young man was treated. And it's clear that work still needs to be done because while we were celebrating the victory, not in a way that we're overly excited that somebody else has lost their life because Derek Chauvin, you know, even though he's going to be in prison, his life is gone. His life will never be the same. So let me just say that, okay? But when I think about the work that still needs to be done and the fact that while one trial is going on, murder trial is going on, where a police officer has killed a man. Other police officers were still out there killing folk. And within the last couple of days, we're only one week today into the George Floyd, the verdict of Derek Chauvin murder trial. And we've had a 13-year-old to be killed by a police officer. We've had a 16-year-old to be killed by a police officer. And I don't mean just being killed. I mean being shot down. And we had 20-year-old Dante Wright be killed. 
These are babies. And it is so, talking about this is so emotional for me because we've gone from killing adults, police officers killing adults, to killing our babies. And I tweeted out, for those of you who know me, I like to shoot a little tweet here and there. I tweeted out, this is bigger than police officers killing the black males and now our females and, you know, our sons, husbands, daughters, moms. It's bigger than that. It's way bigger than that. I read a book when I was in undergrad school called Left to Tail. And it was about the genocide in Rwanda. And it's a movie called Hotel Rwanda uh, based off that genocide. Okay, if you hadn't read the book, you need to read the book. It's called Left to Tail. I can't remember right offhand. Um, who was written by because it was in undergrad school and it was a few years ago. Well, quite a few years ago. And that is what this is. It, that is what this feels like. If it is that easy to shoot down, murder, kill, whatever it is, and however you want to label it, black people. We're in the early stages of a genocide. The prisons are too full to keep locking them up. So what are you going to do? You're going to shoot them all down? Talking about this is such a sensitive and emotional subject for me. And it is because I think about the families involved. I think about back in October when I had to bury my 26-year-old, 25, 26-year-old nephew who was murdered in Ohio. My family had never experienced anything like that before. Never. And when I think about what my family went through, what my brother and my sister-in-law went through, even to this day, it brings tears in my eyes because to see my brother and sister-in-law not be able to cope with it and me being and doing what I do for a living had no words to encourage them on how to cope with it. Because we, I was experiencing something new, experiencing something new myself in reference to having a family member be murdered, especially my nephew, my brother's son. And that wasn't even by a police officer. So to have 
someone who is supposed to serve and protect, who our taxpayer dollars pay, okay? We pay you to protect us. And this is what you get in return. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where we go from here in in this moment. In this moment. Do we vote? Yes, we vote. We vote. But how do we work to change the laws? How do we get the people who don't see any wrong in police officers, police officers killing unarmed black folk to see that that's wrong? How do we and what do we do to bring everybody together? How do we get everybody on the same page? How do we do that? Racism is still being taught. Divisiveness is still being taught. What do we do? This incident should have been a wake-up call for everyone. Unfortunately, it did not wake everyone up. This should have touched the hearts of everyone. It did not. When the trial was going on and you watch it on YouTube live, you can do the little live chat and it was disturbing. It was disturbing. I watched the first few minutes of Dante Wright's uh, funeral services live on YouTube. And you could do the live YouTube chat. And some of the things that people were saying, I meant it was horrific. So, the Derek Chauvin trial and guilty verdict is a temporary victory. When I think about all the other officers who were acquitted or not charged for the murders prior to George Floyd, What made this one different? What made it different? If you haven't tuned in, you need to tune in to two sides. It comes on TV one. Um, I don't know what day. I just happened to catch the marathon on Saturday. I think it's called Two Sides with Viola Davis. Uh, is the uh, she narrates the show. 
and it it aired the Sandra Bland documentary in case it aired Eric Gardner. It aired uh, several others. I didn't get a chance to catch them all, but I didn't know that show existed, but I watched mm-hmm. it and it gives interviews and inside and backstory behind so many different things. And there were so many things that I didn't know um, transpired um, within these cases and within these killings. And this is my opinion that in order for change to happen, you got to sit down and watch where everything went wrong with these cases. You have to, in order for these bills to go before, you know, the Senate and the House and be passed and passed into law, and I mean federal law, okay? You have to look at these documentaries. You have to watch them. And you got to get the details and see where the ball was dropped so that when we work and fight to get these things, these laws passed into, passed in, um, in a federal statute, we can move forward from there. We can't change everybody's mind. It's two sides. What people see with their eyes, we can't make other people see. What you see with yours, I may not see with mine. But what I do know is that it's a lot of work that has to be done. And George Floyd made his soul rest peacefully with the Lord. I'm praying that a resolution is near because if not, this is never going to stop. I also want to say this. In working with changing these laws and federal laws, I need, it is my belief and my professional opinion that the police officers need to have assessments on a regular basis. Six months, every six months, if you got a clean record and it remains clean, and every three months, if your record is not clean. Because police officers still have their own issues that they have to deal with, okay? Their own issues of life. And don't get me wrong, I'm not justifying none of their behaviors by no means. But we have to also take some of that into consideration when they're so quick to pull the trigger. What was on your mind? Were you distracted by home life and you didn't think, you couldn't think? They need to be assessed on a regular basis and need to be a requirement. From what I read now that 
now that George Floyd, I mean, now that Derek Chauvin has been um, convicted, he had a whole history of doing stuff. And it was escalating and escalating and escalating and escalating. Even there's one now where he's being investigated in reference to something, a charge, uh, a case where he brutalized a young um, 17 year old black male. There's an issue, you know, with him on numerous occasions, you know, lying on police reports. Now, if it's against the law for a regular person to lie to a police officer, it should be against the law for a police officer to rely to, to lie on a police report. It should be immediate termination. And it should be a misdemeanor. The law need to apply to them as well. I know, you know, they have that buddy system and good old boy system and, you know, in in their little organization. And that's what I'm going to call it, an organization. But at what expense? What do you have to lose when you do not stop your fellow officer from doing the wrong thing? What do you do? Because now George, now... Derek Chauvin has lost everything. And now we still got three other police officers who have to go to trial behind this. I'm sure they're thinking, was it worth it? Why did not stop him? Why did not step in? Well, it's too late. It's just, it blows my mind that police officers ask citizens to step in and help them solve cases by, you know, calling the hotline and the secret witness line and, you know, all this stuff. You want them to help you solve cases, but you won't stop one of your fellow officers from harming somebody else. What does that say? So, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. That remains the same across the board. We, as a human race, have to better respect human life but in order to understand human life we have to start with our own what value do you believe your life have what is the value of your life what is your life worth because if you know what your life is worth, then you know what the next man's or woman's life is worth. I hope that this 
moment that we're in in this day and time will bring about change. I know it's going to be I know it's going to be rough. I know it's a long road ahead. But I'm talking about change in baby steps. A baby just don't get up and start running one day. Okay? It's a process. It's a learning phase. It's a lot of falling down and getting back up and falling down and getting back up. And a lot of it has to do with the mother's letting go, right? So, if this world let go of racism, which is being babied, pacified, then we, as a human race, can all walk and run together. But everyone has to be on the same trail. Everyone has to be on the same path. And that path leads to understanding and knowing that we're all human and we're humans in this world and we're going to be in this world together because at the end of the day black folk ain't going nowhere That's my time. That's all I have to say on this matter. I'm Dr. Johnson. Thank you for tuning in. I will see you guys. I will be back next week. And I will see you guys this Thursday. I will be on Evolve America live. I'm giving updates on the previous uh, cases and podcast topics that I have um, I've done. So tune in. It's going to be live um, on Instagram. It is Evolve America. And I will be discussing When Life Coaches You um, Mental Health Mondays. So again, tune in. I'm Dr. Johnson. Thank you for listening. God bless you guys. Stay safe out there and keep your head up.